It is New Comics Day, Wednesday, March 4th, 2015, and you're listening to the God and Comics Podcast, the only podcast where Superman, Batman, and St. Augustine team up to form the Justification League. <laughs> Today on the show, what makes a great Batman story? Why does the Cape Crusader captivate us so? And why has no one yet hired Adam West to record an audio version of the Bible? We'll delve deep into the deeds of the world's greatest detective. And as always, we'll have recommendations, this or that, and a whole lot more. I'm your host, Father Jonathan Michikin, Rector of Church of the Holy Comforter in Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. On the line with me is Father Kyle Tomlin. Father Kyle, where are you? I'm at Church of the Messiah in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And also on the line is Father Matt Stromberg. Father Matt, where are you? I'm at Christ Church in Cooperstown, New York. And it is lovely to have you both on here. And Father Matt, it's lovely to have you not sounding like you're inside of a tin can this, this week. What was that? <laughs> okay. I can't hear you! Father Matt is a stand-up comedian. Few people know that. Uh, try the veal, folks. He's here all week. Um, okay. Well, so let's let's just go <laughs> let's just go straight into recommendations. I think. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, my recommendation um, this week is uh, a new graphic novel. It just came out. I, I think in February of this year. Um, and it's it's called the sculptor, and it's by uh, Scott McCloud, who both writes and and uh, illustrates the the story, um, and it is about a, a young artist named David Smith, who um, he he sort of he sort of peaked out very early on in his artistic career. Uh, he became uh, sort of uh, the the it guy for a while and and then the tide of of popular opinion turned against him and he was left basically a starving artist and he is desperate to make a name for himself and so he makes a deal with death and in return he is is given uh the power to sculpt um, anything that he can imagine out of any substance with his his bare hands, and so that's that's sort of the basic plot of the story, and and explores uh, sort of the politics of the art world, uh, the nature of the artistic endeavor, and um, and and mortality, because although he has this remarkable power, in exchange. Uh, he only has 200 days to live and afterwards he'll die. And he sees this as, as, as sort of a, a, a fitting trade that he'll have this uh, amazing uh, artistic ability, but, but in return he, he, he's going to give his own life. And so that, that sort of sets up the basic drama of this story. And it, it, it's really uh, beautifully illustrated. If you know um, Scott McCloud, uh, you'll know that he literally wrote the book on comic book storytelling, um, the, the 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 graphic novel Understanding Comic Books, uh, which is uh, a graphic novel about the medium of comic books, and it it was sort of the first uh, the the first book to really tackle uh, the the sort of comic book theory in a really serious way. And, 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 and since uh, that book was such a success, he, he, he's made a, a few others too. Um, uh, Reinventing Comics and Making Comics, I think the titles are. But so this, uh, Scott McCloud, he is a real master of the craft. And so the sculptor is just a pleasure to read. Uh, it, 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 and the storytelling is phenomenal. The characters are very well conceived. Um, so I definitely recommend it, uh, The Sculptor by Scott McCloud. And does he draw it as well as uh, writing it? Yes, yeah, he's, he's, like I said, he's the illustrator, and it's done, it's, it's, 
since it's an independently published book, it's it's in basically in black and white, but it has sort of a monochromatic blue tone to it, and it's done very effectively, very beautifully. Okay. Well, I've definitely been hearing about this book. I haven't gotten a chance to to read it yet, but it's it's kind of making a buzz, and I think it's sort of making a literary buzz, um, not just uh, among uh, comic book types. So that that should be interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, Father Kyle, what's your recommendation? My recommendation is the new um, volume of The Silver Surfer that Marvel has been publishing for the last about nine months uh, that's written by Dan Slott and illustrated by Mike Allred. Um, Silver Surfer has long been one of my favorite characters, and I don't know what particularly drew me to The Silver Surfer other than, I guess, my own love for surfing in general made me interested in the character. But... They've taken a new new twist on the Silver Surfer. He's for the longest time been seen as an outcast and a reject. Um, he's escaped the clutches of Galactus, who is the planet eater, and he's become his own man, as it were, going throughout the universe, uh, getting himself involved in all sorts of adventures. Now ex explain, because uh, Silver Surfer is probably a little, uh, although I guess they did have him in the one of those Fantastic Four movies, but for some people he may be a little bit more of an obscure character. Can you explain a little bit about who Silver Surfer is? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Silver Surfer is a herald of the planet eater Galactus. And so Silver Surfer's primary job was to go around scoping out planets that Galactus could come along and eat. And so he's had a very long history in the Marvel Universe. Um, Stan Lee created him sometime in the late 1960s. He had his own series after starring in a number of adventures with the Fantastic Four. He had his own series in the late 1960s. Um, he tended to fade away become very much a B or C list character for a number of years. Mm -hmm. There were attempts to resurrect him in the early eighties, again, in the late eighties and through the, through much of the nineties, he had a, an ongoing series. And then for about a decade fell into, um, disuse once again. And this is, I believe the fifth attempt that they're making to resurrect him. But he flies around. He's an all-silver man who flies around on a silver surfboard. Hence his name, the Silver Surfer. Uh, this they, they, they spent hours coming up with that name. That's I'm right. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> He's an interesting character because he possesses an infinite level of power with the power cosmic. So he's on par with being one of the most powerful beings in the entire Marvel Universe. And yet he's the guy who's so seldomly thought of at times. But one of the nice things that Dan Slott is doing with the Silver Surfer in this, this go-round of Silver Surfer comics is trying to take some of the dark, darker, brooding, loner aspects of Silver Surfer and bring about um, some humor into his life. And so there's a very comical edge to this comic series, which wasn't, wasn't available or wasn't apparent in the other uh, series that Silver Surfer has starred in. And Dan Slott, if any of you have read Dan Slott in, in The Amazing Spider-Man, you, you know that's kind of his forte, is to have a little bit of a jokey edge. He originally wrote Ren and Stimpy comics, so if that gives you any indication of where he's coming from, um, that's kind of what he's brought to the Silver Surfer. But the overall story has been a fantastic story um, in which... Silver Surfer has been brought together with a female character named Dawn Greenwood, who um, who was used as a pawn to try and get the Silver Surfer to um, defeat a woman called the Never Queen. And it turns out that Silver Surfer had never met this woman, Dawn Greenwood. And so he's trying to figure out why she's so important that she would be used as a pawn against him. And so the series thus far, as it's been building in its nine issues, is uh, an unpacking of why it is that she has is going to be such an important character in his life. She's a very 
homebody earth girl and um mm. and it's an interesting pairing of this great cosmic powered figure with this very plain jane earth girl who never wanted to leave home and never wanted to have any adventures outside of her small little corner of um of like cape cod so mm -hmm. I, you know and more uh, uh mike allred is, is definitely one of my favorite comic book artists me too Yes, Mike Aldred is certainly his his um he's also been doing the covers for Batman 66 and his covers are almost dead on the TV show characters. I've loved those covers. Yeah, he has that kind of fun like campy ridiculous style. That's very kind of classic comic book. Mhm. Mm uh, yeah. Well, there you go. Silver Surfer. Sounds good. Uh, my recommendation, uh, in keeping with our, our theme today, is a, a book that is about to, the, the collected volume is about to come out on March 24th, uh, Batman 66 Meets the Green Hornet. Now, this was a, a mini-series uh, done last year, uh, about six issues, that uh, is based off of the old 60s Batman show. Uh, some of you know, we talked about this a little bit, I think, last time, that th they've been doing a, a comic called Batman 66 as an ongoing, uh, which is basically telling new stories in that 60s Batman show universe. Um, and uh, so it's, you know, Batman sort of looks like Adam West and um, all of that kind of stuff. And it's, it's, it's kind of goofy and corny the way the show was. Um, and, uh, people who are fans of the show will know that there was a crossover between Batman and the Green Hornet show back in 1967, the, the show that starred Van Williams as the Green Hornet and Bruce Lee as Cato. Um, and, uh, that was a, that was one of the more popular, um, crossover events. Um, and, uh, so... Uh, they they're they've created a new story here with with the 66 Batman and the Green Hornet and it's written by uh, Kevin Smith the the filmmaker and um, uh, professional uh, f bomb dropper um, <laughs> it, it's it's actually very strange to to be reading something by him that is completely clean and for a general audience I don't quite know what to do with that but. Uh, he he co-writes it with Ralph Garman, who is a, a, a comedian, and uh, it's drawn by Ty Templeton, um, and it's uh, it it takes um, a, an adventure uh, that involves the the dynamic duo um, facing off against Colonel Colonel Gum who's been up, uh, upped in rank to general, so now he's General Gum, and the Joker. Um, and it's just, it's, it's a fun little thing. If you, if you like that kind of campy Batman stuff, you'll, you'll enjoy it. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I guess that's all I can really say about it. It's, it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but uh, if, if that kind of uh, hokey thing, stuff appeals to you i mean there's like you know for instance there's a part where um robin has to um find uh batman who's still dressed as bruce wayne uh, he's on this train uh and they uh they they have him meet uh meet the train with a helicopter and so bruce wayne sticks his head out the window and says to robin i've seen batman he's already on the train and robin says uh, throws him a duffel bag which presumably has his uniform in it um his costume and says uh here mr wayne please give batman this sensitive piece of crime fighting equipment <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's right up the alley of the the kind of um ridiculous stuff like that that would show up uh in the show so if you're if you really want it you can probably go out and buy it in single issue form still 
uh, or you can wait until the, the 24th, although I believe you can already pre-order the book on Amazon. Um, Batman 66 meets the Green Hornet. You know, I think I might prefer Kevin Smith as a comic book writer more than a filmmaker. Me too. I, I agree <laughs> he, with that totally. He, he, he's written some great comics. I, I mean, uh, I think the first one I read of his, uh, a comic book that I've read, uh, written by Kevin Smith was the, the Guardian Devil, the, the, the Daredevils. Uh, mm-hmm. it, was, yeah. it was when they relaunched Daredevil, and it was just fantastic. Yeah. Well, yeah, his Batman stuff in general, too, with Cacophony and um, mm-hmm. I can't think of the other one right now. Uh, both of those have been very strong. Widening Gyre. Widening Gyre, yeah. Mm-hmm. Both of those. Okay, well, that's our recommendations. Uh, we'll move now into our main discussion. And as I mentioned before, our main discussion uh, this week is we wanted to answer the question... Uh, what makes a great Batman story? Batman has become one of the most popular characters, not even just comic book characters, but characters um, in popular culture. And um, that's really exploded since the late 80s, I would say. I mean, it's been true that he's been a very popular character for many decades, uh, but uh particularly ever since the 1989 uh, Tim Burton Batman film, that kind of got the train going. And then, of course, since then, we've had numerous films done by various people. Um, We've had various other incarnations of Batman, cartoons and this, that, and the other thing. Um, And uh, people are very familiar with Batman, and he has this ongoing, everlasting appeal. So the question is... um, what is it that makes a Batman story so appealing? What is it that makes it good? Uh, what is it that's particular to Batman um, uh, about such a thing? And I'm going to ask Father Kyle to weigh in first since, um, you know, I think we're all uh, Batman fans, but he is, uh, I would say, as close to a Batman expert as we can we can get. Um, so, uh, Father Kyle, what... Why don't you uh, tell us your thoughts? Well, I, thank you for for the compliments there about being a Batman expert. Um, I certainly have been collecting Batman comics for a long time. Uh, for 36 years now, I've been collecting Batman comics. Um, and, and keep in mind, friends, uh, Father Kyle is, what are you, 39? 39. Yeah, yeah. so when he says 36 years... <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of his life <laughs> my entire life i've been collecting batman comics <laughs> but uh yeah you know the thing with batman and there's so many iterations of batman and depending on what iteration of batman you like mm-hmm. that's going to determine what makes a good batman story for any one of us Um, My own personal bent on Batman and my own personal um, framework that I think makes a good Batman story these days is centered more around the Batman of the 1970s and the 1980s. Uh, (laughs) So kind of the Batman that I grew up with. I like the darker Batman stories that have been that have come out. There are elements to them that I very much enjoy. Um, I think Scott Snyder is doing some fantastic stuff. If, if not pushing the boundaries on the Batman character quite a lot these days, but um, if I have to sit down and choose a Batman that I want to read, with the kind of Batman stories that I want to read, it's the stuff that came out of the '70s and the '80s, and th- those stories are stories in which Batman is a dark Avenger but he's not too dark. He does a lot of detective work and his colorful cast of villains are quite present. Um, they're not over the top gross figures. Uh, they all fit within their own modus oper- modus operandi. Um, but there's a lot of elements of adventure to those stories that's about all I can say at the moment for him. I think that 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 general time period and that style of story, 
where the detective Batman is very prominent and the adventurer Batman is very prominent with some cliffhanger elements to it. To me, that's, uh, that's good Batman writing. You, you hit with the detective thing. That was going to be uh, one of the things that I wanted to say. You know, I think that bit has really gotten swallowed up. Uh, but, mm-hmm. I mean, um, he really, you know, Batman gets his start in detective comics, which, of course, mm-hmm. is, is still, um, they're, you know, they're still publishing detective comics. And for me, the best Batman stories are the ones that highlight this skill of his as a detective who, you know, is it's not just that he is a quote-unquote a superhero or a guy who can kind of beat people up or even a guy with a lot of cool gadgets. I mean, I think that's all part of the mythos of Batman, but it's the fact that he's got this keen mind that in some ways sabotages him, right? I mean, it, it makes him very prickly. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't... Of all the heroes, he'd be the least... The, the Probably the bottom of the list of those I'd want to have a beer with, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but all of that kind of sacrifice makes him able to really sort of suss things out. And you can see that played out in different ways with different iterations of the character, right? So if you you want something like the campy, silly Batman of the 60s, that Batman, nevertheless, was a great detective. Now, it was was kind of a silly version of it, so a lot of the time it would be, you know, he would figure out that, oh, well, that word uh, in Latin actually means bird, which means it was the penguin all along or something like that. Right. Um, but you can think of other, there've been other versions of him where it's been, he's really had to figure something out. And, and some of the best stories actually are the ones, you know, thinking back to Kevin Smith again, um, in, in widening gyre, um, I, I won't, I won't give it away, but, um, there is, uh, a, a, a kind of surprising twist in that story and part of what makes it so appealing is that Batman himself doesn't see the twist. He doesn't see it coming because he's kind of gotten involved in a personal relationship and uh, other things are going on in his world. And so for like the first time ever, Batman is kind of not as sharp because he hasn't, he hasn't shut everything out except for just the facts, you know. Yeah, and that's a good carryover from the 1970s and 80s Batman is one of the things they really paid attention to at that point in time was that Marvel was having such success with having characters that had human lives around their superhero lives. And Batman, at times, has become so swallowed up by the, by the person of Batman, and this is sort of the modern take on it, that Bruce Wayne is the alter ego. Right. That Batman is the real, real person there. But mm-hmm. in the 70s and 80s, they had Bruce Wayne have a life, and that life kind of impacted his life as Batman for both positive and negative. And I think that helps make a good Batman story when he's got that level of complexity to him. <laughs> yeah, I, I think what... One of the kind of essential ingredients in Batman, I think, it, it is really this this kind of duality, you know. So, so Batman is uh, he he's both Batman and he's Bruce Wayne, as 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 Father Kyle was pointing out. So he he has sort of this you know this playboy image uh, as Bruce Wayne. Um, you know, he, he, he's, um, he's oftentimes intentionally kind of makes himself, uh, appear to be sort of a superficial character, but then, uh, he, he descends into the bat cave, you know, and, and, and he's transformed into this creature of the night. Um, and, and, and there's, there's this, and I, I love how in, in the, the, in the Batman animated series, I mean, even his voice changes. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Bruce Wayne doesn't 
speak with the same voice as Batman. He becomes he becomes something different. He becomes something almost more than human. And it's easy to forget that uh, that that Batman has no superpowers. Uh, but he he's able to sort of hold his own with with the Justice League. <laughs> when he hangs out with Superman, he's 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 bested Superman on occasion. But he, he in becoming Batman, he really does become become something more more than human. And and and, and that has has to do with sort of his superhuman uh, abilities as a detective. I mean, his technology, there's sort of that, again, that duality. There's the sort of rational detective, um, you know, gadgets and, and, and the Batmobile and, and things like that. But then there's also this sort of dark, primal, um, you know, creature of the night that Batman is. Um, he's a hero, but he looks like a villain. And in a way that that um you know no one's going to mistake uh superman for the bad guy but but in in becoming uh in opposing evil he almost uh batman sort of uh becomes part of the underworld uh he he becomes he, he becomes uh something more terrible than 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 the uh than what uh, than what people are afraid of when they walk down a dark street, uh, and, and I always I always thought that 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 Batman was, was almost he he's almost he it's almost Batman becomes the kind of surrogate for the the terror or uh, um, and guilt that's associated with crime. I am so, vengeance. I am the night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, I mean, you know, because criminals are superstitious and cowardly lot. Um Batman is almost he he's almost represents the fear of, of hell and, and and judgment. I mean, he he I mean, he he looks like uh he looks like uh, like one of the, you know, the demons out of a Hieronymus Bosch painting. He's going to swoop down on these criminals and drag them away to hell. <laughs> Um, and, and, and I mean, and, and so I think that kind of, um, Batman needs to be, uh, I, I think Batman's at his, at his most effective when he, when he is that sort of dark night. Um, you know, he, he, I mean, even that term dark night, you know, there's the, there's the nobility of the night, but he's, he's, uh, he, he's dark. <laughs> he yeah. does things, he, he, he. He has a different way of operating than the Flash or or uh, Superman, um, and but I, I, I mean, as you both pointed out, I I, I think Batman um, he he has he, he's very elastic. I mean, you can almost tell any story with Batman because um, you know, again, going back to the duality in the character, I mean. There's there's the dark brooding Batman, and then there's also the you know the Adam West Batman '66 character, and how it, it it's sort of amazing that they're even the same character that they mm -hmm. sort of hold together as a as a coherent figure. Um, I mean, you know, you can't get any different than Adam West um, and uh, Frank Miller's portrayal in The Dark Knight. I mean, right. they're totally different, but they're the same character. Right. Um, and, and few, few, few characters have that kind of range. Um, yeah. So it, it's it's one of the real strengths of Batman um, that that you know you could tell so many different stories with him. Yeah, you're right. If you look at if you take someone like Superman, Superman is Superman almost with very few tweaks and very few little differences that he has throughout the entire series of Superman. But you're right, Batman has this elasticity about him, which just, I've always found that personally very intriguing, how you can hold this one man who seems to have these multiple faces all together. And um, 
by the way, for those of you who are interested in, in more of Batman in this regard, um, Grant Morrison wrote a fantastic series of comics um, back in the mid-2000s um, up until about this two years ago, I think it was, in which he set about trying to reconcile all these various facets of Batman. How can this one character have had so many different appearances and egos? And, and uh, he did a great job of pulling these things together in stories like Batman and Son and the Black Glove and Batman mm. Rip, and then the whole Batman and Robin storyline that he worked on and the Batman Incorporated. All of this stuff just pulls these various iterations together and says... They're all present at once in this one man, and it was really cool. Father Matt, um, if if I can bring back up something you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, because it'd be interesting to 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 explore a little bit. You 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 talked about Batman basically almost being a form of of hell <laughs> and vengeance, mm-hmm. and uh, of course. You know, when you think about the bits of Batman that are um, that are essential, um, I think one of them has to be the fact that his whole being um, comes out of the experience as a child of seeing his parents murdered in front of him, and his desire for a kind of vengeance, not just against whoever killed his parents but against all criminals and i i i do sometimes wonder about that because it is always interesting to see characters uh, especially heroic characters who are battling against their baser instincts in order to maintain some kind of ethical you know some kind of ethical ideal um, and Batman certainly does that. Um, one of the things that um, you know Batman is known for, um, although uh, there there have been popular culture exceptions to this, but uh, the fact that he doesn't use guns and he doesn't kill. Now, th- there this wasn't entirely true when the, the first Batman stories were told. Uh, originally, Batman was a lot more like the Shadow. The um, the the, uh-huh. the the old uh, radio character and so he actually did kill a fair number of people the first couple of and years and he carried a gun and, and he carried, carried a gun, a gun. Right. but but uh, you know for for most of his existence this you know this sort of has become set in with him he doesn't kill people um, he's had and it's and it's plagued him at times right because he's had opportunities you know especially with somebody like the Joker who is so incredible incredibly insane uh and so beyond the pale um of of you know capable of horror and yet batman uh feels like he can't or he shouldn't kill him because as soon as he takes that step you know he's 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 gone irrevocably down a dark path and so i think that's interesting on the one hand but then on the other hand i think about this from a um especially thinking about it a little bit from a Christian perspective, which, you know, uh, calls us to virtues of mercy and, 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 and love. Where does a guy who has built his entire life upon vengeance um, fit into that? And where exactly does this ethical framework come from that says that it's uh, pretty much okay to do anything to terrorize somebody who's bad and has it coming as long as you don't kill them. Yeah, yeah, uh, because although he doesn't kill, he's not afraid of breaking some bones. That's right. <laughs> he's happy to I mean, he, happy you know, to torture turkeys you, in the killing. face. Yeah. <laughs> Batman, it's always it's not always very clear whether or not Batman is driven by um, a love of justice or a lust for vengeance. He, he has that ambiguity to him, for sure. Uh, my own take on Batman is, um, is that he is the embodiment of what it is to be a sinner. Mm. Um, in the sense that he is attempting to play God, uh, whether he's seeking justice or whether he's seeking vengeance, he is determined in his own life that he is going to be the one 
who determines how things go in his own corner of Gotham City. And so he stepped up and taken that mantle on himself, which rightfully belongs to God to judge in that regard. But yeah, well, he's certainly. Uh, it, it's almost as as if Batman needs to put the fear, um, the fear of the fear of God or the fear of hell back into the back into Gotham City, where where there's sort of criminals. Um, you know the the system's sort of corrupt. There's no justice, and there there uh, criminal. In in order for there to be this balance, uh, there needs to there needs to be this terror. You know when you even begin to think about committing a crime, <laughs> you're, you're you're worried that that Batman's just around the corner. And by the way, why in the world does anybody move to Gotham City? Yeah, <laughs> it seems like the most horrible place on earth to live. I don't understand why anybody lives there, unless it's the Gotham City of the nineteen sixties. That's right. <laughs> you might want to live there. Yeah, that's a different that's a different story altogether. Well, um, if you really like Gothic architecture and gargoyles, I mean, um, <laughs> you you can't do much you can't do much better. I mean, well, well, look at look at uh, Batman's uh, Marvel counterpart, um, uh, Daredevil. Uh, okay. Daredevil lives in Hell's Kitchen. That's an actual place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and, and what we've been talking about with Dare uh, with, with Batman becomes even more explicit with with Daredevil. I mean, he's he actually dresses like the devil. He does, but you know, Daredevil has a different sort of, when you're talking about it in terms of ethics and stuff, one of the things that's really interesting about Daredevil is that he is an explicitly Catholic character, um, and uh, that comes up time and time again. Now, it's handled differently by different writers, sometimes better, sometimes worse, um, but that sort of colors his reflections. Um, so I don't know that you could say in the same way that Daredevil is attempting to be God. Um, I mean, he is to a certain extent because everybody is, but, um, but uh, or attempting to be the devil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I just, the, I think, the, the... yeah, I think Daredevil has a different kind of a sense of the way the universe is put together, I, I, which is not to say that Batman necessarily... Well, I don't know. I, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't really have a sense from from reading Batman if he believes in anything particularly other than that, um, you know, there's a definite good guy and a definite bad guy, and bad guys ought to be stopped. I can answer that question. In oh. uh, in Batman issue four hundred and twelve, <laughs> they're standing on a uh, Robin and Batman are standing on top of a roof of a building. And the church bells start ringing, and Robin makes a comment about the church, and Batman says, "I have much more of an Old Testament outlook." <laughs> <laughs> There's maybe a little bit of theological perspective on Batman. He sees himself as a first use of the law. <laughs> okay, so explain the first use of the law for those listening who don't know what that means. The first use of the law is the civil use of the law for restraining sinners so that um, so that we do not kill one another in the meantime while we wait the promise of Jesus Christ. That's that's the first use of the law. God, God gives so, his law to us in order to at least one of the reasons that is so that um, our entire society doesn't just become chaos. Right, exactly. And... Uh, Yes, and so that, that very heart of that law, which is centered around the Ten Commandments, becomes the basis of every law that we see um, throughout the world, that that's the law that's in the hearts of all human beings. Yeah. Batman will totally go Old Testament on you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We've talked about some of the elements of a good Batman story, and we can bring up some more if you want. I'm curious what... Uh, what you all might say would make a Batman story not work? There needs to be some tension in the character. I mean, so 
in in order for it to work, I I I think I, I think it's right to say when it goes too far to one side, um, it ceases to be a really effective Batman story. So so I mean so there okay so there's the there's the Batman nineteen sixty six. I I think it needs to maintain some kind of uh, it needs to maintain some seriousness to it uh, 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 for it to really um, be a great Batman story. I mean, the Batman sixty six. I think it, it. I I mean I I think those stories are fun, but I think we we could probably agree that if if that was the only type of Batman story that that we would have lost the character in in a meaningful way. I mean, am I crazy to say that? I I, I think that, I, and I think after after the TV show was such a success, and um and the comics sort of imitated the TV show for a while, then we for the first time we really had kind of the return to um. The return to Batman's roots with the with the Neil Adams Batman, where he yeah. became like sort of the Dark Avenger again. Yeah. Um, and I, I I think that was a return of something that was really essential to Batman that had been kind of um, obscured in all the the camp and fun that that um, things kind of went too far in, in, in one direction. There needed to be sort of a correction. I, I I agree with that. I mean, you know, yeah. there's something similar with um, with the '89 Tim Burton Batman, um, which had the the feeling at the time. You know, I mean, I loved that. I I that's I mean, I had seen some Batman before that, and I I'd read some comics before that, but that was the thing that made me just crazy for batman because it was so even though i even though i'd been watching the reruns of the 60s batman as a kid you know i was only about nine when that tim burton came movie came out but i just thought this is so different and it's so uh you know there was something uh now here's a sort of darker different kind of batman now of course i've gone back and watched it again as an adult and uh it's (laughs) It's a completely different experience, you know. It's it. He's actually, if you compare something like the Tim Burton '89 Batman with the Christopher Nolan Batman, uh, yeah. Tim Burton's Batman is the '60s Batman in comparison to Christopher Nolan's Batman. Um, well, it, it it maintains that sort of duality again. Like, so Batman's the dark, brooding figure, but there's also a lot of kind of fun and humor and and and. Even campiness in in that Tim Burton film. Yeah. Well, um, this is has been a fascinating discussion, which I think we could probably carry on forever. I'm sure we'll get more Batman stuff coming out. We didn't even talk about some of the newer things, like the Gotham TV show and uh, some of the cartoons and all. Um, but uh, um, I, I think uh, a, at least a good start for talking about the wonders of Batman. I believe we now turn to our last segment, This or That. This or that, this or that, come on everybody, let's this or that. Batman or Iron Man, this or that. Spider-Man or Superman, this or that. Boxes or briefs, this or that. DVD or VHS, this or that. Dungeons or Dragons, this and that. Moses or Elijah, this or that. This or that, this or that, come on everybody, let's this or that. And uh, on today's this or that segment, um, I, I I believe Father Matt uh, has our this or that's that we're going to uh, to go through. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to him. I, I'll put this first one out to both of you, um, and and maybe we'll, we'll we'll start with Father Kyle. The the Tim Burton or Christopher Nolan Batman films. Well, unlike Father Jonathan, I'm going to say the Tim Burton. Uh, the two Tim Burton Batman films have been my favorites. And as much as I love the Christopher Nolan Batman films, I've found that as time goes on, I still gravitate back to the two Tim Burtons. I think that what you brought up, Father Matt, about the duality that existed in those films and the ability to keep some measure of lightness 
mixed with a darker aspect of it was what appeals to me with both those films. And I think that at points, especially in the very last um, Christopher Nolan film, there was just a heaviness that um, and a darkness that became overwhelming almost. So I say Tim Burton's. Okay. That's the correct answer. Father Jonathan? <laughs> ah. <laughs> The blasphemer. Uh, uh, so now, see now, I'm gonna surprise you. I would, I would say Tim Burton too. Um, okay. I, I, it depends a little bit on which film you're comparing. Um, I think the first Dark Knight film is um, a lot better than than the other ones. Um, but yes. uh, I, I, I liked the Nolan movies. I, the, on, you, you mean the Batman Begins? Is it Batman Begins or the Dark Knight Rises? The Dark. No, well, what was the first one in in the the, Nolan the first trilogy? one was was um, Batman Begins. Batman, Batman Begins. Begins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Batman Begins. Uh, I thought that was a really good uh, film, but uh, but yeah, like the I I mean, for me, it's really just a lot of it just has to do with my age and the fact that I saw those Tim Burton movies as as a kid, and quite frankly, Michael Keaton. I just love Michael Keaton as Batman. So I I yeah. you know. Uh, even though I'm, I'm, I find it difficult to watch that first one now because of the incredible plotting consistencies <laughs> that I did not notice at all as a child. Um, it's still just so much fun, uh, despite the fact that Batman can't turn his head from side to side in that movie. <laughs> um, it's it's fun. Uh, it's just fun to see Michael Keaton and um, and Jack Nicholson playing off each other, and especially. Um, the part where he, uh, in the first movie, where he, he as Bruce Wayne, he like kind of goes yes. nuts in the apartment, and he's like, "You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts!" I just, <laughs> I just love that. And and Batman Returns is a great film. I love yes. that movie. Oh yeah. So, what else you got, Father? And I, mean, and I need not even mention the Schumacher film. That was. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, okay so. Um... Moving on. We can all agree that Clooney's the best Batman, though, right? I'm just, I'm just uh, not better than Adam West. No. Adam um, West, although okay. my favorite Batman is, is Kevin Conroy, but that's that's a whole different thing. <laughs> the serial? What? No. Uh, Kevin, oh, Conroy, Kevin, the... Kevin Conroy was the voice in the, the animated cereal. film. <laughs> I prefer my Kevin Batman Conroy edible. <laughs> Okay, um, so uh, this this one is for Father Jonathan. Okay. Uh, Augustine or Aquinas? Ooh, uh, Augustine. Okay, and that is the right answer. Augustine. <laughs> well, it's for me. It would be a little closer than I think it would be for you, Father Kyle. Uh, oh but... yes. <laughs> Father Kyle, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'll bounce it over to you now. I would say Augustine as well. Yes, yeah. it's much more of a hands down decision for me. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, I think I'd probably say Augustine too, but it wouldn't be a hands down decision. Um, okay. Um, continuing the Batman theme, uh, Father Jonathan, Robin or Bucky Barnes. Oh, Robin. Got to go with Robin. <laughs> Would you agree, Father Kyle? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Bucky Bucky, uh, Bucky only got good when he became the Winter Soldier in Captain America. <laughs> and when he became the new Captain America for a while, he was, he was good in that. But, uh, yeah, Robin, easily. Yeah, uh, I, I think I agree. Bucky Barnes never really had much of uh personality although if you if, um, you if you throw arsenal into the mix that makes it um interesting <laughs> but but anyway oh okay um father Sweet. jonathan pop tarts or toaster strudels pop tarts oh uh, uh, let me uh, a follow-up question but what kind of pop tart uh probably either cherry or strawberry would be my my choice 
Yeah, cherry would be the correct answer. <laughs> you have really specific ideas about how we should answer these, don't you? <laughs> okay, for, for for Kyle, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. I've only recently started to um, watch Star Trek. I've been watching the original series, some of them, and I enjoy it. But um, but I, I'm certainly more biased toward the original Star Wars, the original trilogy, um, just because I've seen it so much and I know it much better. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> I knew that was going to be. Well, please, uh, excuse yourself, Father John. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. I I just uh, you know Father Kyle's just embarrassed himself so dramatically that <laughs> I felt I had to create time. a diversion. And it won't be the last. I had to create a diversion. Star Trek is clearly the correct answer to that question. I, well, you know, I, I I'll have to hear you guys duke it out at some later date because I, I'm not entirely sure. That's a difficult one for me. I like both of them. I don't even really understand the comparison other than that they both take place in space. They're like so completely different in terms of the kind of thing that they are that I don't get they why really it's are, become yeah. such a thing. Yeah. But Okay. Um The Twilight Zone or the Outer Limits? Who's that for? That's for either of you. <laughs> uh The Outer Limits. Really? Uh, yeah say the twilight zone and that was clearly the twilight zone but are are you on drugs (laughs) (laughs) i'm actually experiencing the outer limits right now Um, oh he had a strawberry pop tart not a cherry that's right (laughs) (laughs) no you know the outer limits was um uh, again a lot of this is just nostalgia for me when when I was um, in my early teens, that that that's when they were doing the like new Outer Limits shows, um, and uh, I used to sit up with my friend late at night, and we would we would watch them together, and uh, so I, I I'm I'm more I feel more connected with that than the Twilight Zone. Oh, so there's a personal connection there. Well, that's that right. makes sense. Yeah. But the Outer Limits does not have Rod Serling. <laughs> That's right. I don't know if you realize that. <laughs> well, uh, th- that may be. That may be. Um, the Arrow or The Flash? Father Father Kyle, have, do you watch either of these shows? I have not seen either of those yet. Um, you, you should but give I'll just an answer give my anyway. own <laughs> preference, I think, would be The Flash. As a character? As a character. Yeah. I love the Flash's. I think the Flash has a very good rogues gallery, and I I just like certain elements of the Flash character better. Yeah, yeah. Well, what uh, F- Father Jonathan, you've been watching the shows. I know. Which one do you prefer? Oh, if we're talking about the shows, then I would say Arrow. Um, it, yeah, I meant the television show. That's why I said Arrow rather than Green Arrow. Right. I mean, if you're talking about the characters, I probably would prefer the Flash, but. Um, but just as the shows go, they're both good shows, uh, and I like the kind of lighter aspect of um, of the Flash. Uh, but uh, but Arrow is um, uh, I, 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 Arrow's the one that I can't miss. You, you know, I, I I like Arrow, but I I, I think I prefer the Flash. I find the characters in the Flash much more likable than in Arrow. Except, I, I except for Iris, especially the Oliver Queen. I I don't find him a very sympathetic character. Well, I you know I I I I'm not bothered by that. But like on on the Flash, like I mean, I find him to be very sympathetic. Um, but uh, but I can't stand Iris, and I just don't understand like. Like she just seems so. Um, for somebody who's supposed to be theoretically a PhD student, she just seems so irrevocably dumb. I, I, <laughs> and, I just and don't get I, it. I, I, I will say this: it's a little creepy that that he has a crush on um, basically his basically step-sister. his sister. Yeah, that's true. It's <laughs> a little weird. 
definitely. But but I, I think Father Kyle makes a great point about the Flash's rogues gallery, which they've used very effectively on the show. Um, and, and, and so that makes the show very exciting and interesting for me to see the different villains pop up. That's true. That's true. Um, so, uh, Father Jonathan, Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man? Um, I guess Peter I would... Parker. I, I would have to, I guess I'd have to say Tobey Maguire just because I haven't seen any of the Andrew Garfield films. So mm. I don't really know. Well, Tobey Maguire is the better Peter Parker. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I seem to be a minority point of view on that. Father Kyle, do you have an opinion? I agree that Tobey Maguire is the better Peter Parker. I like Andrew Maguire, but I, I think in general, I like the first two spider-man movies that were done by sam raimi the third kind of started to take a bit of a dump but that it was, wasn't it was pretty sam bad raimi. it was pretty that third toby mcguire one that that i always think of whenever i think of that third one and there's you know when he starts to like do his hair differently because he's like the the popular evil version of uh, emo, Peter the emo version well, no you know i always think of uh that moment in the early 90s where garth brooks pretended to be a rock star named chris Gaines. Oh, yeah. and what was his name chris chris Gaines. that was that was his uh, fake <laughs> rock star name and they even had he hosted saturday night live as garth brooks but then he the musical guest was chris Gaines, and it was just the most <laughs> ridiculous thing you'd ever heard of that's i always think of that when i think of that third spider-man film <laughs> Yeah, that yeah, wasn't completely Sam Raimi's fault. I have to stand by defending Sam Raimi, who's an uber Spider-Man fan, but he hated the character of Venom, and the studio kept pressuring him to put Venom in there, and uh, and finally he ended up capitulating. He only wanted a Sandman movie, and uh, which would have turned out much better, I think, had they let him just have the one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I hate when they do that in those superhero movies where they start to load up the villains. And, and then, so Venom appears in like, like the last five minutes of the movie. Yep. And it, I, I, it, I felt the same way about Two-Face in The Dark Knight Rises. Mm. They, uh, Two-Face is, is one of my favorite villains in comic book you know history. I'm but right there with they you. They kind of squeeze him in at the end of that movie. I, I want to see a whole Batman movie with Two-Face. Yeah. Yeah, Two-Face is my and, favorite. And a whole Spider-Man movie with Venom, if they're going to do Venom. Two-Face yeah. is my favorite Batman villain. And I've always thought uh, that what they ought to do is is do one where uh, Two-Face is played by Billy D. Williams, since uh, he played Harvey yeah. Dent in the Tim Burton movie. But That's right. It's probably not going to happen now, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I think that ship has sailed. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, then, then like at the end of the day, Two Face can relax with a cold Colt forty-five, you know. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of our show. Uh, another wonderful show. Uh, if you want to hear more of our shows or check out more about us, please check us out on the web at www.godandcomics.com. While you're there, you can feel free to send us a message on our letters page, and we may just be publishing some of those up there in the very near future. Thank you to those who have been writing to us. Uh, the, the show is also available on iTunes. You can feel free to subscribe to us there. And while you're there, feel free to give us a rating, uh, especially if you've enjoyed the show. That helps other people to be able to find it. Our theme music is done by Father Paul Wheatley that you are hopefully uh, banging your head to right now. And uh, we look forward to being back with you uh, in another two weeks. Uh, until then, I'm Father Jonathan Michigan. I'm Father Kyle Tomlin. I'm Father Matt Stromberg. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>